0: This morning we're going to look at a passage of scripture from uh, 2 Kings chapter five, and we're going to look at a a fellow named Naaman, um, and a little story about him and his life. And there's a lot of things I think that could be learned about it. There's a lot of things that we'll mention and talk about as we go through the story. But I think virtually every lesson that could be learned from it can be summarized by an understanding of the idea of humility. Um, He's someone who he's used to getting his way. He's someone who has quite a reputation. He's someone who's uh, successful in what he does. And yet there's something in his life that is out of his control. He has a skin disease. Uh, The Bible calls it leprosy. Uh, One thing about that that word leprosy is... When we hear the word leprosy, we tend to think of a very specific skin disease where where your uh, actual fingers and and parts of your body can rot and then fall off. That's probably not what the word meant as it's translated in the Bible, but it is some sort of uh, skin disease. A lot of times it may be contagious. And so uh, it's, it's a nondescript skin problem, but that's what he has and it's causing problems in his life. And so he is on a quest to try to find solutions to that. And we'll talk about that quest, but one of the things that it basically, basically, whether, whether it comes to the way he views himself, the way he listens to other people, and what he chooses to do in an act of obedience, it all centers on the idea of humility. It all centers on the idea of being willing to elevate other people, to listen to other people, to even obey other people even when it goes against what you are thinking in your own head. Because it turns out that other people's thoughts might matter too. It turns out that my thoughts and my wishes and my ideas might not always be the best. And sometimes that's helpful to remember. Sometimes that actually is a really, really important message. In fact, uh, I want to start off by reading a proverb. Uh, It comes from Proverbs 12 and verse 15. And it says this, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. What we'll see as we go through this story is if Naaman had continued to listen only to himself, he would have been the fool and he would have stayed the leper. But it's when he opens his ears to listen to other people, even wisdom that comes from unexpected places is when healing and cleansing uh, come his way. So let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, and we are going to, to briefly make our way through this story. 2 Kings chapter 5. Verse one introduces us to Naaman, and it's pretty much about how everything in his life is good and successful until you get to that final line. It says, now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, a highly respected man, because of, uh, by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. A man was a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. And so you go through, and it's like description after description of the fact that he's a captain, the fact that he's a great man, that he's highly respected, he's victorious, and he's a valiant warrior. So if you read all that, you think, oh, this is someone who has everything in his life in order. This is someone who, when he wants it, it gets done, and it gets done well. Everything he puts his hand to happens successfully. But then you come to find out there's one thing in his life, and that one thing seems to be beyond his control. It's so so frustrating when you have your plan for your life and you think you're in charge of everything and you think that you can control everything and then something out of left field hits you and you realize, you know what, no matter how much control I think I have, there are things that are simply beyond my power to do anything about. You can't do anything about this leprosy. It's like you just get it and then you think, this is my life now. This is, this is what I have to do. And you could, you could try, but ultimately... It just changes the way your life is going to be. And you you know, people a lot of times use the phrase new normal uh, these days, but he he has a new normal and it's not a good one. It's not the one he chose for himself. It's one that's beyond his control. It's one he didn't ask for, but it was thrown upon him. And so this is his life now. And everything else that he had planned is now going to be tainted by this new problem that will affect everything else he does. But the story continues. Verse 2. Now, the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Okay, so the story introduces us to a new character, and it's not a good introduction at all. Uh, See, the Arameans and the Israelites often had conflict and battle. In fact, the very next chapter, uh, 2 Kings 6, is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I think, uh, you know, we just... just, uh, for the lord's supper kind of walked through the end of luke that story on the uh, the road to emmaus where these people are they're basically they're blinded to jesus they're talking to him but they don't see him but then when they eat the meal their eyes are opened um there are a lot of parallels actually between that story and a story in second Kings six in fact the same line is used in both stories about their eyes being opened and you have uh this army the arameans they're going to attack Elisha but God strikes them blind and then Elisha leads them to the capital of Israel where they are now surrounded And this army who's been causing all these problems is about to be slaughtered and the king of Israel wants to slaughter them but instead what happens is Elisha says no let's have a meal with them and their eyes are opened Uh, their eyes are opened there and they they see where they are but instead of finding loss and slaughter and, and defeat they end up having a meal, and, and uh, it brings about peace. Anyway, there, there's some connections between those stories that are interesting. All of that is to say, though, that these stories that you're seeing in 2 Kings, they deal with the fact that the Arameans are often in conflict with Israel. And here we're going to have a a brief example of that. What you have in verse two is the Arameans had gone out in bands and they attacked Israel in these different ways. And they actually took someone as the spoil of war. They took a a prisoner, they took a captive and they took a little girl. And she's actually living in Naaman's house. And this little girl who they had taken from Israel is attending to his wife. Uh, So when you compare, by the way, who is it you would expect to receive wisdom from? Who is it that you would think, all right, if I'm going to take counsel from someone, I can either choose the highly successful, valiant military man who the king relies upon, who's been victorious in all that he does, or a little slave girl who is taken captive and is a servant in a foreign land. Who would you think would be the ultimate, a better source of wisdom? Um, Just if you were looking at resumes, you would probably assume this one. You know, you would assume the one who has everything in their life in order. But what we'll see, and we won't only see it with her, we'll see it time and time again, is the people who you would expect to be the wisest in all the land are going to be the people who kind of turn out to be the most clueless. And the people who you would expect to be the most clueless or, or not have the good wisdom tend to be the people who offer the best wisdom. You're gonna be introduced to to Naaman and you're gonna find out that if he follows his own plans, it's not gonna work out very well. You're gonna be introduced to two kings, the king of Aram and the king of of Israel. And what you'll find out is both of them are kinda clueless as to what's going on here. But the heroes of this story end up being the servants, the little servant girl from Israel and some other servants that Naaman will talk to a little bit later. And you find out that the people who are at the bottom end up being the ones who whose wisdom saves the day. And I think that's a really important lesson. I think that's a lesson, first of all, in humility. Because there are so many sources of wisdom that we could miss out on or we could overlook if we get too involved in our own self-importance or if we only listen to those at the very top and we ignore everyone underneath them. It, it, there's Wisdom can come from a lot of strange places. I think I know sometimes, uh, I'm sure this happens in every workplace, oh dear, uh, I'm sure this happens in every workplace and in, uh, in politics certainly and in education, but I, I, I think it happens in ministry too. There are preachers who I know who sometimes they've had a difficult time in ministry. And one of the things that seems to be consistent is they're the ones with the education. They're the ones with the experience. They're the ones who have been doing this for years. And they tend to think that all of the best ideas can only come from them. And it's almost like offensive when other people who have been Godly, faithful Christians their whole lives want to do things or have ideas. It's like, no, this has to be my idea. And, and even people who are supposed to be humble, I think, can, can fall into those types of traps of not listening. Look, there are, I, I like education, and I think there's a benefit to it. I, I, it's something I care a lot about. Um, but I'll say, when it comes to actually living the Christian life, there are a lot of people who are brilliant. They have PhDs, they know all the original languages, they could tell you everything about every word in the Bible and you can learn a tremendous amount. But then there are other people, they might not be well educated, they might not know the original language, but they've been godly humble servants of the Lord their entire life. And I would say if you're looking for wisdom as to how to live a godly life, You'd be surprised how often it's not the person in the academic ivory tower. Uh, You'd be surprised how often it's the person who's lived the Christian life faithfully day in and day out. How often, though, they are overlooked. And, And I think this story is a reminder. It's a reminder not only to look at those who you would expect or who have the right resume, but listen to people who have been living the life. I wonder if that made it really difficult for the Pharisees. When Jesus, this uneducated Galilean carpenter, starts teaching them. And he starts teaching with more authority than anyone else. And they're thinking, you haven't earned the right. Wisdom isn't going to be found in you. It's going to be found in our priests. It's going to be found in our teachers. It's going to be found in our official rabbis. Not in in you. And yet, so many of the crowds found wisdom in, in Jesus. And if you're going to listen to Jesus, especially if you're someone who is a leader and a teacher in Israel, if you're going to listen to Jesus, the only way you'll do it is if you humble yourself and you realize there might be something to learn from his counsel. I think when it comes to listening to Jesus, when it comes to life, wisdom in our own, in our own day, and when it comes to Naaman's story right here, there are principles that are merging that wisdom can be found in a lot of places. And we need to make sure that we're open to receiving it. So what happens with this little girl, you get to verse three, is she says something to Naaman's wife. It says, she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, that he would cure him of his leprosy. That's a remarkable thing for her to say, because I know if I'm in her situation, I don't know all the details of her life story and how she's treated and all that. But I could imagine my first thought would be Good deal with it, sir. Uh, You know, like my first thought might not be, I wish Naaman felt better. Uh, I could see not liking him all that much. But she seems to be humble and she seems to be someone who genuinely cares about the welfare and well-being of others, even uh, Naaman, who is in some ways responsible for her being taken captive. And so she says these things and Naaman is willing to listen. Uh, Verse four, Naaman went and told his master saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who's from the land of Israel. And then the king of Aram said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So here's where where we're going to see how the kings deal with this matter. Because again, Naaman's an important guy. So he tells the king, the king says, we'll get this taken care of. Um, And so Naaman departs and he took with him 10 talents of silver and 600 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothes. That's a lot. They're going to pay the king of Israel for this healing, they're thinking, all right, we will give him this huge gift. And even though we're kind of enemies, maybe if we pay him enough tribute, he will allow us access to these healing powers that can take care of Naaman's leprosy. So they go to Israel with this huge gift. Verse six, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, and now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant to you, that he, uh, you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel had read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking to quarrel against me. So here's how the king of Israel thinks about it. I can't cure a man of leprosy. What is he, does he think I'm God that I can do this? Like, he's, I tell you what he's doing. He is sending a gift to me. And he's giving me an impossible task. And then I'm going to fail the task. And he's going to say, all right, now let's fight about it. He's just trying to pick a fight with me. And so the little servant girl, she sees the solution. The kings, they're kind of clueless as to what this is going on. And they, they think this is just going to start some sort of warfare. And so all of this is taking place. Meanwhile, Naaman is still a leper. And the prophet in Israel has not yet been contacted. But the story continues. Verse 8. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Now, have you torn your clothes? Why? Now let him come to me, and, I will, uh, and, he, will now, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean. All right, so Elisha hears, okay, the king's terrified. I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands here. And so he says, hey, just have him come to me. And so Naaman goes to the prophet's doorway, and then this is interesting. Instead of going out there and meeting him and healing him, which is what Naaman's expecting to happen, he doesn't even meet him. He just sends a servant to him, he sends a messenger. And the messenger's the one who has the wisdom. So again, this is about not, you would expect it to be the wise prophet who goes and gives this message. But instead, just like Naaman heard the message from the little servant girl, now he's hearing a message from the servant or the messenger of of, uh, Elisha. Virtually everyone in this story who you're supposed to listen to ends up being a messenger or a servant or someone who's low in society rather than someone who's a leader. And so Naaman hears this from the messenger and he's furious about it. He's like, I thought I was going to meet a great prophet. I thought he was going to come and you know wave his hands over me and and call upon the name of the Lord, but he doesn't. Instead, he just he doesn't even have the time of day for me. I'm a pretty important person, you know. Naaman's not used to people just kind of sending their underlings to go deal with him. He's used to talking with people who matter and talking to people who are in charge, and so it's an insult to him. And it's 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 not only is it an insult that Elisha didn't come out to meet him, the very thing he's told to do. It, Go get in this muddy water and dip seven times? Like, there's better rivers out there than the Jordan. There's better rivers in Aram than Jordan. You want me to go in your foreign, dirty water? Like, give me real healing here. Don't just give me your nonsense where you don't even have the time of day to take me seriously. I'm going through something that matters here. So so Naaman gets frustrated about this. He doesn't think Elisha's taking this seriously. He doesn't want to listen to Elisha's messenger. And so the story continues in verse 11. But Naaman was furious, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand all over the place and cure the leper. Are not abna and farpar the rivers of damascus better than the waters of israel could i not wash in them and be clean and so he turned and he went away in rage um now i think the the rivers themselves kind of become a a small little picture of this story you know you're supposed to listen to the the wisest people of the land right if you're going to wash and be clean you should get in the cleanest best water right but instead, you're supposed to listen to the messengers and the servants, and you're supposed to wash in the dirty, muddy water of Israel. And, and, and it's like everything that you would expect, do the great thing, the story's kind of calling you to do the lesser thing. By the way, this isn't unique in this section of literature, you're kind of supposed to read books like First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings together as a unit, and what you'll see is as you do that, this idea happens all the time. Uh, the the you know Goliath, he's the great mighty warrior. If you could if you could design a perfect warrior, he's going to look a lot like Goliath, and yet who defeats him? The the Israelite who's not really even a warrior at all. You know, he's a shepherd. Uh, Like, if you were going to say, all right, who would win the battle? You would expect Goliath, but instead he's the one who loses the battle. Or if you're going to pick a king, Saul is the one who's head and shoulders above everyone else. He looks like a king, and people will immediately want to listen to him. He has everything going for him. But does he end up being a good king? No. Uh, One of the things that you see as you read first and second Samuel and first and second Kings is you will expect the rich and the mighty to be the winners of the story, but the roles are reversed and they tend to be the losers of the story. And yet the people who are on the bottom who you would expect to be nothing at all, they end up being those who are on top. It's kind of like a very long narrative describing a sentence that Jesus says. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And you're seeing that here right in this story as well. So verse 13. So <laughs> Naaman's furious. He's not going to listen to this, not even the prophet, but the prophet's messenger about getting in the waters in Israel. And he, uh, he's going on his way. And verse 13, then the servants came near and spoke to him. So who's going to have wisdom again? going to be the servants. Then the servants came and spoke to him and said, my father, had the prophets told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he says to you, wash and be clean. Notice how he says, if he said you go do a great thing, you would have done it. This is what the story is about. We want to listen to the great people and do the great things. But instead, sometimes humility is where wisdom is found. Sometimes humility is where salvation is found. Sometimes humility is the only way you'll ever take that step to obedience. And upon hearing this message from the servants, Naaman does humble himself. He listens to them, and he humbles himself to obey. And he goes out in verse 14, So he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Healing, salvation, uh, the solution to his problems didn't come from his king, and it certainly didn't come from listening to himself. If he had just listened to himself, he would have stormed off back home and stayed a leper. It came when he humbled himself to listen to others, It came when he humbled himself to be obedient, even, by the way, when he didn't understand how that obedience would work for him. Uh, I think there are a lot of times where Jesus says things, and uh, if I think about them, it doesn't quite see how that will solve my problems. Uh, Some of his his ideas about turning the other cheek in real life don't seem like great ideas. Uh, It doesn't always feel like it would be a great idea, but sometimes having the humility to give Jesus a shot, to give his words a try. See what happens. See what happens if we turn the other cheek. See what happens if we're radically generous. See what happens if we apply some of those strange, difficult teachings of Jesus. We might find more healing than we realize. I think in the story right here, by not listening to that inner voice and instead humbling himself to listen to the servants and the lowly, He found salvation. As a matter of fact, he not only found cleansing, he found faith. He found faith in the God of Israel. The story continues, and we're not going to look at it as in-depth as as we started, but this really is a story of role reversal. Because what ends up happening is he goes back to Elisha he's like, thank you so much. He's so, he's so, so grateful for what Elisha had done for him. And he offers Elisha like a huge amount of money, this huge gift because Elisha has, has healed him. And Elisha says, no, I'm not going to take it. Uh, I don't, I don't need your gift. Uh, just go on your way. And so here's what he asks for. Naaman says, let me get two big bags of dirt from Israel so I can bring them with me. And that way, I can, I think the logic being put them on the ground and stand on Israelite ground as I worship the God of Israel because I now believe that there's no God except the God of Israel. This is a commander of the armies of Aram, and he is saying, there is no God except the God of Israel, and I want to have some Israelite land to stand on. Uh, And so that's what he wants to do, and then he goes off on his way, and Elisha's servant hears this whole thing. And he thinks, you know, he did just offer us quite a bit of money, and you turned it down. He comes up with an idea, and this idea is not one he gets from listening to Elisha. This one is an idea he gets just from listening to himself, and he thinks, I'm going to run out there and meet him on the way and tell him that uh, some prophets have changed their minds, and maybe we could use a little bit, and so he speeds out, and he meets Naaman, And and Naaman sees him. He gets off his horse. He's like, is everything okay? He says, yeah, yeah, things are fine, but basically, we're going to need a little bit of that gift. We're going to need some some coins. We're going to need some clothing. And so uh, Naaman, sure, yeah, absolutely. And he gives it to him. And then uh, Elisha's servant takes it, brings it to his house, and goes and stands next to Elisha. And Elisha says, where were you? And the servant says, I love his answer. He says, uh, your servant went nowhere. <laughs> I didn't go anywhere. What are you asking for? I didn't do anything. Uh, and here's what ends up happening the leprosy that Naaman had that was cleansed gets restored. Only it's not on Naaman this time. Now it's on the one who didn't listen to others, but listened only to himself. He had this great idea that he could go get himself rich and no one would ever know about it. And instead, he ended up with far less than he thought he was going to get. So this whole story, you see the leprosy go from one, get transferred to another, and you see one of them was willing to humble himself listen to others, and it leaves. The other one listens only to himself, and he gets it. I think there's some lessons there. Uh, We've talked about them, but I think there are lessons in humility. I think there are lessons in humbling ourselves enough to listen to others, and I think there's lessons in humbling ourselves enough to be obedient, even when we don't understand why this is the best thing. Sometimes when we become the ones who judge God's word or judge God's will, What we ultimately find ourselves doing is not humbly obeying, but making ourselves the one who judges God, Uh, making ourselves God's ruler. When we're the ones who sit back and say, I'll only do it if it makes sense to me, then uh, we can find ourselves standing opposed to God. And the problem with that is we actually don't have his wisdom. We don't have his knowledge. Uh, We are nothing before him. And so humility is essential for the Christian life. Humility is essential to listen to Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to listen to the church and to be a part of the church, to obey the word of God and to obey the message of Jesus. It can only come by humbling ourselves to do so. And I think that's a message every one of us, myself included, could be reminded of from time to time. And so as we draw our lesson to a close, I want to challenge you. Listen to others. Be willing to find wisdom from your brothers and sisters, even in the unlikeliest of places. Uh, Recognize that everyone out there might have something to offer that you could actually benefit from, and be willing to listen, be willing to learn, and be willing to obey. If there's anyone here who wants to become a Christian, that's also an act of humility. It's a way of saying, I probably shouldn't be the one in charge of my own life, and I'm going to give that to Jesus instead. He calls us to follow him. Not to lead our own path, not to blaze our own trail, but to follow him. And you can begin following him right here today. Having your sins washed away in baptism, naming him as Lord and leader of your life. If you have a need, you can come and sit on the front row or meet with one of our elders in the back. But please do so while we stand and as we sing.